Shema Yisrael. Welcome to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries with Aaron Budgen. Aaron discovered Jesus is his Messiah while preparing to be a rabbi. He now teaches for several organizations and is the teaching pastor for Living God Ministries. Strongly distinguishing between the Old and New Covenants, Aaron presents the scriptures from a Judaic and historical frame of reference. Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us. I'm presenting a verse-by-verse study to the Gospel of John, and this is the 41st program in this series where I am in John chapter 8. And in this message, I will be finishing up John chapter 8. This is the conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees and others in the temple after the circumstance of the woman who was caught in adultery. This was the continued conversation. And Jesus was taking advantage of the situation where he had achieved a victory in the circumstance when they tried to entrap him with the woman caught in adultery. He overcame that. And while they were walking away, he provoked them into a continued conversation by declaring that he is the light of the world. And at the end of this conversation, Jesus told them that he was not there for the purpose of judging them. He was there because God wanted him to be there in order to tell them some important truths that would set them free in various ways, to include being saved. In verse 26, in John chapter 8, verse 26, it says, I have many things to say and to judge concerning you, but he who sent me is true, and I speak to the world those things which I heard from him. So he asserted the fact that, look, I am only present here because God My Father has sent me here, and I'm only speaking about things that he told me to say. But there are many things that I could say concerning you, and there's a lot of judgment that I could present concerning you. And so later on in this conversation, Jesus takes a moment and he says some of these things, and he expresses some judgment concerning them. So even though the Father sent him for specific reasons, Jesus took the opportunity at the end of this conversation to say some things that appear to be things that Jesus decided to say concerning these people who he is talking with. And this begins in verse 41 when Jesus exposes the condition of their hearts. In verse 41, this is John chapter 8, verse 41, it says, You do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, We were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Now, there's a lot to be said about this. First of all, they are asserting a collective relationship such that they are the children of God in a collective sense as defined by the Mosaic law. So when they refer to God as their father, the one who has given them the inheritance in the land, that's a different definition for referring to God as father. That's a different definition than the definition that Jesus is referring to 
when he speaks of his father. When he speaks of his father, he's referring to the inheritance of the Holy Spirit. He's referring to the inheritance of life, and he's referring to an individual relationship between himself and God, and he is there in order to make the provision for salvation so that we could become children of God and have an individual relationship with him through the new covenant, not a collective relationship with him through the old covenant. And so when they are using this word, Father, Jesus has a a different definition than the people who he is speaking with have for the word father. Again, you do the deeds of your father. Then they said to him, we were not born of fornication. We have one father, God. Jesus said to them in verse 42, if God were your father, you would love me for I proceeded forth and came from God, nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. Now that's an important statement that if God were their father, then they would love him. First of all, he could refer to the Old Covenant, and he could say the law states that you are to love your neighbor as yourself. He could refer to the Old Covenant in a collective sense to that individual commandment that they are to love their neighbor. And if they had a relationship, an individual relationship with God, then they would love Jesus who has come from God. But because they reject Jesus and the message that he is proclaiming, then he is asserting the fact that he doesn't have anything in common with these people. They don't have anything in common with him. He is making the division between himself and these people wider. He is not speaking to them for the purpose of joining them to him. He is speaking to the people who are listening. He is speaking to them indirectly, inviting them to join in with him. But these specific people, he is making it definitive. He's being very decisive about separating himself from them. And this has to do with exposing the truth and exposing reality. Through the exposure of the truth, that this is who he is and this is who they are, they can repent. They can do that. Or, through their pride, they can refuse to because there are other things that are more important to them than the truth. And I spoke about this subject in the previous program. So, continuing into verse 22, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Now, at the end of verse 42, he says, Nor have I come of myself, but he sent me. He is expressing to them, listen, I am here because God sent me. I am just following his instructions. And he is speaking to them about the things that God told him to say. And they are having a conflict with him as if he was not sent by God as if he is not there to convey the things that God told him to express to them. So he is making it abundantly clear that he is not there to defend himself. 
He's not there for that reason. And so if they have an issue with him, if they want him to leave, if they want him to die, if they want him dead, if they want him to stop speaking, then they are going to have to understand that they have a conflict with God, not with him. He's not going to take this personally. To him, that is not the issue. In verse 43, he tells them directly that they are not going to understand what he's talking about. And for that reason, they should also leave him be, leave him alone, not provoke a conflict, because he's making it abundantly clear, look, no matter what I tell you, you're not going to understand what I'm talking about anyway. So why are you here? Why do you have an issue with me when you don't even understand me, you don't even know me, you don't know anything, and yet you are presenting yourself as if you are the legitimate authority and the judge over these matters? And you want me to die over all of this. In verse 43, why do you not understand my speech? Because you are not able to listen to my word. Now, you have to be very cautious with this. There are a lot of people who take the position, I certainly do not, but there are a lot of people who take the position that they were not able to understand because God decided. God decided that they would not be able to understand, that that was important to him. In order to accomplish his purposes, he had to have some people who would not understand what he was saying. And so he decided, out of his great sovereignty, that these people would not be able to understand. And if they want to understand, well, too bad for them. Too bad. What he wants is more important. That's the position that most people want to take in Christianity in general. I do not believe this at all. I believe that the reason why they were not able to understand or listen to his word was because there were other things that were more important to them than the truth Jesus might be expressing. There were other things that were more important, things like their position in the society, the authority that they exerted, their own personal pride of not wanting to be recognized as someone who was wrong and needed to be corrected. There are many things that are more important to them than the truth. Achieving victory in this conflict is more important than the truth that Jesus was expressing. So that would be why they are not able to listen to his word. And you'll find this with a lot of people who you interact with also. And it can be a source of great frustration if you don't realize that the issue is not necessarily what you think it is when you're having a conversation with someone, or at least the issue is not the same issue to them as it is to you. You might be wanting to express the truth because you want them to believe the truth, but there could very well be other things that are more important to them to include the consequences that they will have to experience in their personal life if they believe what you are saying. This is one example that will give a person a reason to ignore what it is that you are saying. And these people have many reasons to ignore and to reject what Jesus is saying, regardless of whether he is expressing the truth or not. 
Verse 44, you are of your father the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Jesus refers all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. The devil was a murderer from the beginning, but the kind of death that the devil was involved in was a spiritual death. He told a lie to Eve. Eve believed the lie. Adam then believed the lie. And they ate from the wrong tree and they died. That was a spiritual death that took place, whereas the Holy Spirit departed from within them and they became spiritually dead to God. The breath of life that was breathed within them was withdrawn in accordance with the law of sin and death and they became spiritually dead. They died physically later as a consequence of what happened, but that was many years later. In the day that they ate of the tree, they died, and that was the absence of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus has been spending a lot of time during his ministry, as I expressed in the previous chapters here, in the Gospel of John, Jesus had a lot to say about him being there for the purpose of giving the Holy Spirit, of restoring the Holy Spirit to humanity, to people on an individual basis, and so that they could be made spiritually alive. But these people are intervening. They are in the way. They are resisting the purpose of Jesus, the purpose of the Messiah. So therefore, they are participating in the death of humanity with their father who was a murderer from the beginning. Continuing into verse 44, he was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of it. And that is the default if they are not willing to accept the truth that Jesus is there to convey to set people free. In verse 45, but because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Which of you convicts me of sin? And if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? He who is of God hears God's words, therefore you do not hear because you are not of God. Now, of course, they could be of God if they wanted to, if they were willing to surrender to God. They could do that. Verse 48, Then the Jews answered and said to him, Do we not say rightly that you are a Samaritan and have a demon? Oh, that's really helpful. Yeah, and so in response to what Jesus has to say, they're going to say this. They're just going to say, you are a Samaritan. And of course, I spoke about the Samaritans in the previous messages. And you have a demon. Well, there's not much to say about that because that certainly is not true at all. But this is their way of saying, look, you know, our conversation is relatively over. We are not going to comply or agree with anything you have to say. In fact, instead of you exposing us, we are now going to accuse you of something. Whether it's true or not doesn't matter because it will take everyone's eyes off of us. And now you need to respond to this accusation about you being a Samaritan or you having a demon. And of course, he's not a Samaritan and he's the one who's casting out demons. And so the absurdity of this 
demonstrates that this conversation is relatively over. In verse 49, Jesus answered, I do not have a demon, but I honor my father and you dishonor me. And I do not seek my own glory. There is one who seeks and judges. Most assuredly, I say to you, if anyone keeps my word, he shall never see death. Now, is he referring to physical death? Of course not. Everyone is going to physically die. He's referring to the spiritual death and the consequences related to spiritual death. And when a person will see this, is after they physically die and they go before the living God and it is exposed in an undeniable way that they already are spiritually dead and they will be sent to the place where spiritually dead people go. What do you do with dead things? You burn them and you forget about them. And that is what will happen. And that is the death that Jesus is referring to. Then the Jews said to him, Now we know that you have a demon. Abraham is dead. And the prophets, and you say, If anyone keeps my word, he shall never taste death. They are referring to the physical death, but he is referring to the spiritual death. Verse 53, Are you greater than our father Abraham, who is dead, and the prophets are dead? Whom do you make yourself out to be? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father who honors me, of whom you say that he is your God. Yet you have not known him, but I know him. And if I say I do not know him, I shall be a liar like you. But I do know him and keep his word. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. And was glad. Then the Jews said to him, You are not yet fifty years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus answered this question, but I'll explain the answer in just a moment. What I'd like you to see here is that Jesus is referring to the spiritual reality. Not the physical reality, but the spiritual reality. And we have a God who identifies himself as the God of Abraham. Abraham is not spiritually dead. He is in the kingdom of heaven. He certainly did not get to experience the resurrection that we get to experience now because the new covenant went into effect after Jesus died. But I genuinely believe that God made a provision for Abraham and many of the people before the Lord Jesus came such that they would have a place with him in the kingdom of heaven. And Abraham is alive. God refers to himself as the God of Abraham. If Abraham is dead, if he is spiritually dead, if he is no more, if he is not with God in the kingdom of heaven, then what kind of a God is that? What kind of a God is he if he cannot keep people alive eternally? He wouldn't be a very good God for those people who surrender to him, who believe in him, who trust in him, who rely on him, who believe the truth that he expresses. And Jesus came from the Father, as he has described. He really is the Father. He is God manifested in the flesh. And if that is the case, he knows Abraham. He has spent time with Abraham. 
When he said that Abraham rejoiced to see this day, he saw it and was glad. Jesus is able to testify of that because he was there. Yes, he does know Abraham. In verse 58, Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, when Jesus said these words, he was referring to the conversation that he had with Moses a long time ago. When Moses asked him, what is your name? Now, I've done a program on this, the name of God, what the correct translation is of what God said in response to Moses' question. The correct translation would be to say, I will be who I will be. But in most cases, people have translated it as I am, which is not quite the same. But I believe that when Jesus quoted God's response to Moses, that he probably used the Hebrew words for what God said to Moses. Here we have a translation into Greek, and here it says, I am. This is just a technicality, though. I don't think it's a really big deal, but it's something that I think is at least worth mentioning. But the important thing to see concerning this is not so much those details. The important thing to see is that Jesus makes an assertion that he really is God manifested in the flesh. He makes that assertion in a way that there is no confusion at all. Everyone who was there heard him say what he said, and they were not confused at all about what he said, that he was declaring, you know what, I am the God who you claim you believe in. That's who I am, and that's why I can testify in the way that I have testified about Abraham. And I can tell you that this is what he really thought, and this is what he thinks right now, because I really do know. So what is their response going to be? Are they going to surrender to Jesus and his words? Are they now going to embrace the living God for who he is because Jesus has exposed that reality about himself? Because God has spoken out and said, look, you know, I know because I am God. I know. Are they going to surrender to that? Well, they could claim that he needs to do a few God things, but he's already done a lot of those during his ministry up to date. He's done plenty of those things that would validate that, and they have rejected all of those, it appears, so far. So what would you expect them to do? Verse 59, Then they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, And so passed by. He just simply exited the situation. He accomplished what he was there to accomplish, and then he left. Now, what's really important to recognize is that Jesus finally exposed to them directly and openly, and in a way that there was no confusion at all, he exposed to them the truth that he really is God manifested in the flesh. There was no confusion about that at all. He spoke to them probably in the clearest way that he could ever speak to them by using that phrase that God used with Moses to identify himself. 
that I am the God who will be who he will be. And then Jesus left the temple. Now, Jesus left the temple and he continued to function and live as a man. This is important to recognize that he did not come. Our God did not manifest in the flesh in order to live as God. He came to live as a man, to interact with people as a man, to personally present himself in a way that it would be just about impossible for people to really recognize him for who he really is. And the reason for this is because he wanted people, he still wants people, to believe in him, to trust in him, because of the truth, because of the truth of who he is, not because he manifests himself in a way so that it is so obvious that you cannot deny the reality of who he is. He wants people to turn to him because they want to know him, because they want to have a relationship with him. That's why he said, you don't know me. Because it was important. He wants people to know him. And he wants people to know him because they want to know him. And I will continue into chapter 9 in the next program. Thank you for listening. This is the 41st program in the verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of John. In this program, I was in John chapter 8, verses 41 to 59. And this was the end of the conversation that Jesus was having with the Pharisees in the temple after the conflict over the woman who was caught in adultery. In this program, I explained that Jesus ended the conversation by telling the people in a way that there was no confusion about what he was saying. He told the people that he really was God manifested in the flesh. And this was after he explained that his interest was that people would know the truth and know him as a person. So with this final revelation about him being God manifested in the flesh, he effectively told them that he wanted people to believe in him because they wanted to. And I will continue with this in the next program. You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is, livinggodministries.net. Do help us develop new radio programs and continue broadcasting on this and other radio stations. Send your contributions to Living God Ministries, P.O. Box 383-53, Colorado Springs, Colorado. 80937 or use the donation link on our website livinggodministries.net that is livinggodministries.net thank you